So this young chap is somebody I have cycled from Paris to London with, with an organization called Tech Bikers, along with other 77 startup founders and crazy people who are making things happen in business world, but also like liking to contribute back to society, raise money, and also just kind of put themselves through a bit of a, a kind of pressurizing situation of cycling. So Ben, please tell us, who are you? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, 39 years old, no good answer. Um, started in, I started in IT and then moved to a computer game called RuneScape, which some of your listeners may remember. It's quite popular in its time. Uh, I started as customer support and then after about three years, they'd sort of thrown me up the, um, the executive pipeline. Um, and it was just a super high growth business. So it was a lot of late hours um, and you know, just long weeks. But I then moved downstairs to a startup, didn't know anything about startups, couldn't understand how we had such nice offices and all this free food and we didn't seem to make anything that made any money. And I just, <laughs> I just couldn't understand it because it just, RuneScape was, we had, a, at the time I was there, we had a million paying customers every month paying $5 a month. So it was a pretty big deal for, for back then. I mean, we're talking... 1996, 1997, maybe around then. Maybe no, that can't be anything close to the truth. Could be 2002. Um, and then I moved to London, and then I set up something called the Three Beards, which was a networking event for the London tech scene, and that became quite popular. And then uh, I was asked to join Number Ten Downing Street, and so I went and advised on the Tech City project for a year. And then I left. I went back to another startup called Unicorn Hunt, which we exited uh, two years later. And I've spent the last two years advising the Tunisian government on how you use digital to increase democracy, especially in emerging countries. Yeah, so you've had quite a journey and like pretty much everything you did has had massive resonance in London. And at one point, it was impossible to to go to a startup related event or be in that Silicon roundabout without bumping into you somewhere or somebody who was like, I'm going to meet Ben and do something at a Ben's event and stuff like that. So you know, those were um, just quite, quite special times. So with regards to purpose, what is the purpose of business to you these days uh, when, when it comes to, you know, stuff that you're, you're getting involved in? And I, I noticed uh, the other day, and the reason why I reached out is that, you know, you said you're getting involved in yet a new business. So what, what is, you know, how are you seeing it now that you're a wiser man? I guess, luckily, my the sort of purpose hasn't, hasn't changed and, and experience is only talking the same thing, which is, you can't be in business just to make money. You have to be focused on making people happy. And the people you make happy are your customers. Never forget that. And it's it's not about how you want to make them happy. It's about how they want to be made happy, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> so your purpose is to facilitate happiness and hopefully get paid for doing it. And that's, I think if you take, if you take that approach, you'll say yes to quite a lot of things but you'll always know when you're not doing it right because it won't it won't feel correct it just you won't feel that joy you won't get you know the energy reflected back that you're trying to put out um mm. which is quite a hippie way of thinking about things but i'm quite happy so 
Yeah, and 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 that kind of there's an element of love there and care and being sensitive to what what people what makes people happy really. So that that's all those kind of quite hippie things. That hippies, good hippies are good at that. So <laughs> well, I think I think my frustration always with with business when I was sort of growing up and not really understanding it or find well having seen any exciting ones or been near exciting ones was that they were just all so boring and just so mm. dull. And I just I just think when you're a kid, you just, just can't, you know, what's, you know, I always hated shopping. I mean, you, I hate going to the supermarket. Yeah. I still do. It's like a chore. It's like yeah, a chore. Yeah. Because I don't think they've got their purpose sort of nailed. And I think they've forgotten it in, in a race to scale and grow. Yeah, yeah. So what, what is the core thing that, that you can share in regards to people then when it comes to you know, working with people, serving people, maybe building teams and things like that? You now worked with so many different mm. types of people as well. Mm. What is the kind of like one perhaps unifying sort of string that brings it all together in a sense? I've always, I've always worked on the principle of saying thank you. And I've always just found if you just say thank you every day to people for, for turning up and doing their job, it's, it's just, that's all they need. That's, you know, people just want to be seen and acknowledged, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That's, mm -hmm. they want to feel that what they don't want. And everyone's had this feeling a day, you know, the end of the day when you've had a frustrating day at work and no one speaks to you as you leave and you sort of sit on the tube and you think to yourself, I don't even know I am there. Nobody noticed me leaving. No one said goodbye. And it hurts, you know, and you're just being emotional yeah. and you go and have a drink and you calm down and you say, it's a shit day and it's fine. <laughs> but I've always found in my businesses that acknowledging people's energy, their work, you know, who they are, but also trying to work out who, who they may want to be, especially with young people and, and, mm -hmm. and people who are, you know, people gave me such encouragement and, and love that it, I always feel it's important to kind of try and give that back as much as possible. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's not always possible to manage people perfectly. You know, we, we're all bags of emotions, but I think if you try to be kind first and mm -hmm. sort of say thank you, that gets you quite a long way into to not being a, a dickhead boss, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and also a dickhead coworker. You know, nobody yeah. likes, there's that. Yeah, it's kind of like, if you don't think there's a dickhead at work, you may be the dickhead. <laughs> sort of, you know, maybe you're, if you're like, everyone's amazing and still frustrated, it's like, mm, you're the bad fit here. <laughs> uh, so so when, when it comes to systems, both you and I are developers, perhaps at heart or certainly to start off with. But then, you know, we had to grapple with all, you know, the people, the businesses mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. communities and so on. Mm -hmm. What What is a kind of systemic takeaway that, that you can you can share or that what's the first thing that comes to mind when it comes to either building systems or setting up systems for businesses and so on? And perhaps how has it changed since, you know, we first got into the like interwebs because nowadays mm. I say to people like it's never been harder to build a web page than today. <laughs> it does sometimes feel like that. I mean, uh, I, I think, so there's been some, you know, I, in my, you know, it's a long career now. You know, I remember 
burn you know, agile burn down charts and mm. uh, sorry waterfall charts and and a kind of weird fusion of stand ups but the sprints dictated and then we've kind of moved into this pitting people against each other sort of agile pick your own cards work on what you want kind of thing <laughs> and now I think we're finally seeing the emergence of of mapping being the kind of the system, which is really trying to understand the cartography of whatever you're trying to do. So whether that be de- you know, sort of system architecture, you know, thinking quite intelligently, taking the time to do the upfront thinking, of the, of, mm-hmm. of sketching the product, what does it look like? How does it function? Where can we save ourselves heavy lifting? What are the off the shelves products that we can use if we're a startup that needs to just get somewhere? It's that sort of stuff that if you if you just start working, you'll 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 discover some of these answers, but you won't you won't have really mapped it. And so then you're just sort of working in the blind. Mm. And I found when I was doing stuff with Unicorn Hunt, unless I was incredibly clear with myself exactly how I was gonna do the actual programming, I would just wander off into sort yeah. of just, oh, I'll go and do that now and I'll fix this. But I found if I just walked around Amsterdam with a notebook thinking almost the program through, then I could just sit and type it out and just, you know, it wasn't as much fun. It wasn't that dynamic, uh, exciting, oh, I'm fixing things, I'm making stuff happen. Oh, I've done that. Oh, what's that? It was a bit more that thing, that thing. And it felt, it was quite useful. and I think the same about kind of community. And I also think the same about how businesses themselves function. You've got to understand effectively the inputs and the outputs to use programming language, you know, and, and who's got undue processing power effectively. Who's going to, who, and the hierarchies aren't often very clear, especially in modern mm-hmm. business. They're so yeah. flat. But so they're interpersonal. So you've got to kind of map that piece as well of, mm-hmm. You know, so it's for me. It's always just about being uh, taking. I often look like I'm not doing any work, and I, you know, I quite like that because then I know I'm not sort of. I'm giving myself time to think, and I, for me, that makes it much more effective to to get stuff done. And it enables you to be creative without the constraints. You know, so yeah. you can play with the ideas and everything in your head, and then start to figure it out. And then that, for me, feels a lot more. It's more exciting at the beginning and a bit more boring at the end, but you kind of get an end result that sort of feels a bit nicer. Yeah, it's like it, it, it has to, an idea first has to work as a thought experiment properly, and then mm. you have a chance of actually coding it up and making it work as a, especially as a repeatable process and a system and maintainable and so on. So what what's happening with innovation in startups and in businesses today, what is are we innovating more or less or different? What's going on? I think it's always basically it's always hard to know. Effectively, the, each sector is now engaged with tech, and so you know, everything now has tech associated to it. So, farm tech, sex tech, you know, wellness tech. Everything's now a technical product, but quite often that not particularly innovative by and large. So there's always, quite often it's just 
a simplification of a previous tedious process that's now just been automated. But it's still not... I don't know. I don't know if I'm jaundiced these days or just blind to the innovation, but I'm not... I, I find myself becoming just less and less impressed. There's... You know, there's... The last thing that really impressed me was a voice transcription system I saw on Product Hunt and was like, that's cool. Yeah, that's really well done. There's some great products, by the way. I think we've really nailed product design and user experience on the internet. But I wonder, I wonder how much innovation there is because so much is open source APIs that get you to where you need to be quite quickly, but the actual the actual complexity or the actual um, algorithm isn't particularly any isn't it, it, well it isn't proprietary for a start, and then it isn't very innovative because it's fixing you know a myriad of problems. Um, you know you can kind of throw AI at anything, but mm, to what end and 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 why? Uh, there's so much human information you still have to use and train and, you know, it's shortcuts rather than, I think, you know, building new bridges or greater cathedrals that at the moment. And I've, I, I find that a bit disappointing. Um, but again, a lot of innovation has, has become diluted because people aren't taking risks anymore with the internet. They're not being massively adventurous. I mean, the most exciting stuff's probably sat around in the dark web and some of these slightly more secure networks that people are trying to build. Um, oh, and what Vince Cerf is still doing with this interplanetary internet. There's still stuff happening, but it's so fringy and it's so um, rare and no one wants to hire rebels. No one wants to hire the person you can't control anymore. That's like, that's not okay. You can't do that. Um, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this. I just finished a great book called Where Wizards Stay Up Late about the history of the internet from start to sort of, to, from the absolute beginnings in the 50s all the way up. And it's just been making me think about, I don't know, we'd be able to get the internet built these days in the same way that it's emerged, just because people weren't, people were just writing blank checks to solve problems, really. And I just yeah. wonder if, if, if we're seeing that anymore in the same way. I mean, last night we, we stayed up until quite late uh, coding up a bunch of stuff. And, and I was saying to my colleague Mo, you know, it's like, man, like, I think most people still don't understand how much of a human invention URL is. Like URL is such yeah, yeah. a powerful thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's, um, it's yeah, it's, it, it's, it is mind-blowing to think what computers have now become and in a weird way because they've become so sort of productized and consumerized they've lost some of that charm of being able to hack on them and and break them um and have to learn to fix them you know you it's quite hard now to you're so abstracted away from the machine they just put glass and colors in front of you there's no real it's quite hard to teach people what's going on inside a, a phone these days and i find that that loss of abstraction is probably, you know, it's probably quite crucial. You know, we can't now see how the machine works. And I don't, then I don't think, I think it's so hard to imagine it for most people. 
Yeah, because I got I got into computer programming back way back in old Yugoslavia, where I'm originally from, and we managed to somehow have a Commodore one two eight, you know, which which I had, and then it was like you just kind of turn it on, and it's like a blue screen, and now it's like what do I do with this? Yeah. And it was like, find out. And we couldn't speak English. So we're like kind of reverse engineering coding from like uh, misloaded games. You know, when they would throw yeah, up yeah. some code and we'd be like, what is this code? What's this? And, and we'd actually reverse learn to code by reverse engineering these kind of error codes. <laughs> and, and, you know, a few months later, we're actually coding our own shoot em up games. And I still today, I look at like, I'm, I don't know how to code up a shoot em up game today. No way, no chance. I didn't even know where to start. Uh, so it's kind of like we've been dumbed down in some sense. Uh, so what's what's what are the products that are you know, or maybe you can share some of the stuff that you're working on now. But what are the products that are catching your eye these days? So just for a little bit of self promotion. So uh, we're just coming out of stealth um, for a SME lending product. Um, in essence, quite a lot of how to take money has been sorted, automated. Thank you, Stripe. Thank you, Shopify, etc. Um, and some of those, you know, going back to the history of the internet, some of those real problems of taking money online um, have been solved. But there's another problem, and COVID has made this worse, which is SMEs suffer from getting a lack of credit. And quite often it's because the lenders don't know how to model risk correctly because building a data set is too complicated. But the data sets already exist. We just need, we just import them, clean them up, provide that. And then if there's lending opportunities available to you, we tell you, tell you what they are and what it costs and that's it. So it's always free to the customer. We provide them with data analysis for their products, uh, let them know how the Shopify site's working, for example. Um, and then after that, we, we give you opportunities to get credit against your previous sales. Um, so I still think there's a lot to be done in, in fintech. I still think it's a slow place to change. Open banking for a huge effect on that. Um, so I still think there's, there's, there's still lots and lots of industries that need the, the product thinking that we managed to get to over the last 20 years of building things um, and working out that value chain. Um, so I, I I find it I do find it still not strange, but it's interesting that product UI UX and sort of engineering have sort of split into three different disciplines. When I always kind of assumed, what would happen would we get people who could think incredibly incredibly uh, um, creatively about product could have the imagination to design, but could complete that through code. Now, they, those eight people exist, by the way, but I thought we would have more of those kind of multimodal individuals. And instead, we've seemed to have gone into specialisms of product. Now, I'm not saying it's not shared knowledge uh, crossovers, but it is interesting that those have become three clear roles within HR's mindset. And I'm often, I'm often reminded that's the right way around. Like, almost everyone needs to be good at product if you're making a consumer product, I think. 
Yeah, so I, I've always found it very, very strange um, because if I'm, you know, pitching for contracts and, uh, you know, for, for a client to to hire me for what I do, I moved from full stack developer to front end developer to then UX guy to then a UX consultant mm-hmm. slash business consultant, all that kind of stuff. And I'd say, well, you know, I, I can still do full stack development. I can still do UI. Right, so they were complementary to UX design, and if I'd say that to a client, they just go like, "How, how do you know all that stuff?" Like it's basically like a seen as a detriment. It's not an advantage. It's like disadvantage. And say so like, "How don't people know all that stuff?" Because if he's been in the web world for 10, 15 years. You better know all that stuff because you're gonna have to now hire four or five people just to build you a web page, and it's like that shouldn't really be like that. <laughs> it doesn't feel. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it. Uh, another another old and grumpy developer. Um, you, know, we just say what variation of a list in the sky are you building this week, because fundamentally that's what it, a lot of products feel like. It's just yeah. a variation of that, um, and yeah. So I do, I do, I do wonder if if we'll see a return to the kind of mythical full stack developer who who can think about a product. Because I would like to see product almost product teams going away and building competing products. Because I want that you want that diversity of thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. But it, it's, it's, I, I totally agree with you that the companies are basically like afraid to try something new, afraid to say, well, let's spend next two weeks, give, you know, a few, few people in the, in the company free reign to build something that they feel viscerally is necessary here. We'll see what happens. If they don't build it, well, you know, fine. If if they do build something that's worth it, let's let's put some more you know resource behind that. Well, I just wonder if if, if 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 the person who's prototyping the product isn't fully switched on on the technological limitations. Well, it's actually the other way around. If they're not, they don't know what's possible or what could be possible. Then we just kind of hit a, a lower shelf of. Oh, you know, we just did, you know, here's your login page, here's your sign up form. And it's all that same old wizard that it used to be from, you know, from the 90s. It's still a step by step process. It's still not very clever. You know, people don't really bother seeming to use touch ID, face ID. Do you know I mean, there still seems to be a, a, a bit of a gap between what the computer is capable of, what the internet is capable of. And then what the products we get out on of that? Does that make sense? Yeah, it still yeah, feels totally, a bit totally. lacking given the ingredients yeah. at our disposal these days. Yeah, because the awareness is the techno- technological and technical awareness isn't there in the people who are governing the product development to actually say, hey guys, there's this cool thing that we could actually integrate into our offering and service. And I just recently, I well, today actually had someone. Uh, send me uh, like a sort of recruitment agency and said, we are moving forward and we now have like a chat bot through which you can uh, interact with us. And it's just basically a form that's set up as a chat bot, yeah. but you know, it's, and it's like kind of really 
poorly implemented it's like a really ugly thing as well and yeah it's just basically a form that i filled mm-hmm. in but it was like okay so they're calling this innovation and a sort of modern thing and i was like this was like seven eight years old kind of thing you know that they, they just somehow managed to kind of string in but yeah so what is, what's happening with regards to money should companies be raising money is the, have you been reading this kind of around this uh, unicorn versus camel businesses um, and you know what's your take on money raising and and building cash flow uh, all that kind of stuff again you I always, I always think it's important to try and build a sustainable business as quickly as you possibly can. Um, there's huge, you know, running fast requires people. People are expensive, especially within London. And thus the amount of capital you have to raise is associated with that. Um, I think we've been raising for a few months now. It's, you know, there's hesitancy at the moment because of the economic sort of climate, because of the pandemic um but we're we're optimistic i don't want to say too much more but we're yeah we're optimistic we try to try not to take too much we don't like to be greedy in any way um because i think being lean is quite helpful you know I, we i like small teams i like small companies um so we optimize for efficiency on on that um but the sooner you can get to money the better and it is frightening in my experience of dealing with startups that there's a little bit of a, a confusion that someone will just write you a check and at some that and not expect you to tell them when that money's coming back or how does it come back and i think it's a little bit of the myth that silicon valley produces which is these people you've never heard of just raised 20 million dollars um to build some flying nitrogen AI driven vehicle. And you just think that's insane. But there's months and months of planning and um, you know, sketching and modeling that has to occur for that deal to, to, to go in, in any place. So I think there's kind of a useful um, naivety for many youngsters who are trying to build a startup because it's often looks like a young person's game and I don't. I think it's, it's what you're going through the fundraising process very quickly means that you have to understand your business inside and out, and you have to know how it works. And as someone who is not good with with numbers by and large, that's I have to think about that in my own way. That gives me the, the effectively the result I need to be aware of. Whereas there's a lot of sort of I think there's quite a lot of entrepreneurs, especially. The, un- the as yet successful ones who are still just having to learn those numbers, those metrics, those KPIs, and have that in, re- in relation to a strategy because quite often they don't have a strategy. They just have a burn down chart that says, I'm going to spend your money and then, oh, by that point, it should be fine. And you just think, no, no. So, uh, but then I'm very skeptical about, you know, B2C products, I always think if you, you can make a lot more money doing B2B than you can B2C. But, yeah, back to product, it's always a bit harder to make exciting products in B2B because someone's paying you for it. So, you know, if we look at Quibi or something, that's quite an interesting product, but you made no money and it's had to return whatever's left. 
Um, whereas if you look at, I don't know, Pearson or some other educational, you know, the technology is poor, but the content is what people are happy to pay for. And it's not as interesting, but it's more useful to the business. And I think that's, you know, much easier place to play in. If you can solve business problems for money, it's much easier, much easier. Yeah, I, I personally, I, I, I'm very, very excited about enterprise type technologies and, and certainly that B2B. And what I see also as emerging uh, patterns is technologies that are sort of like white label platforms that end up being effectively B2B2C type mm. setups where you're, yeah. you're, you're serving a business, but that business is then exposing your platform to their customers, to either like customer support yeah. or time tracking or all sorts of things like that. And that, that's particularly interesting uh, space. Uh, There's quite a me. lot of that, isn't it? Kind of mm. sort of fintech or sort of bank in a box kind of, mm-hmm. you know, sort of fintech as a SaaS play. You yeah. Know, we'll handle all the hard work for you for a cost to see if you can make it work, which I guess for some, for some businesses, that's what they see. They're just a kind of pure brand play. And you can get there. You can get your inflection points up. And you can see if you're doing it, but then you've got technical decisions. I'm not going to call them technical debt, but technical decisions that you didn't make. <laughs> and now you've got to re-architect whilst still serving, you know, so then you've just got this, you know, hellish landscape of two systems and then a migration problem. And the whole, you know, as you're building the new thing better, that that data source gets farther and farther away. You know? <laughs> so I'm always, you know, it's a bit like, you know, building on the back of Twitter used to be back in the day. Yeah. You know, it was just like, don't do it. No, because they can just turn you off and then you're screwed. Yeah. And that, that certainly, I mean, I, I hacked together three very, very interesting things on, on the back of Instagram API. Mm-hmm. And they all lasted two months before Instagram changed their API so significantly that all my thing crashed and, and didn't work at all. And I didn't know that it didn't work until people started saying to me like, hey, dude, this doesn't work. And I was like, these people are dumb. And I go like, oh, no, they're not dumb. It doesn't work. And I didn't know it doesn't work. It's hard to test for API changes as well, unless you build it like super robustly mm. from the start and so on. Yes. Um, um, yeah, it's a challenge that. Yeah. So what, what happens, uh, you know, we, we had, you know, let's say five, six, seven years ago, it was like the growth hacking thing was mm. like wildfire, right? I, I think those growth hackers have kind of like died out a bit. But what's the true growth? How do you achieve true growth in a startup? I'm of the big believer, but that's probably my background is again map your communities identify your potential customers don't go and sell them anything go and give them something and see if they want to have a conversation with you and then introduce your product you can do that across any channel in any any way now growth hacking i never knew what it was by the way it just seemed to be people showing memes and telling me they could make me money and that always felt probably false so for me again i'm not a huge fan of of, of, of google ad spends really or facebook ad spends or, or promoted ads because it just again it's inauthentic it has a purpose that the consumer completely understands 
And you're probably going to get pulled into some horrible marketing fund page that you didn't want to be at anyway because of how targeting ad works. So if you can, if you can, it sounds arrogant, but if you can own the conversation for your customers and identify the problems that they're having with their business, and you can produce content and products that solve those problems for them, and it comes with a free toy, you kind of win. What you've got to work out is how can you generate that and how can you produce, you know, I'm a big fan, a big fan of product as marketing. I'm a big fan of providing little widgets and tools for the SMEs or whomever to mess around with and play around with because my experience of, of, of my friends who are SMEs is it's hard enough just for them to keep going and just keep their head above water and manage everything that they've got to manage. And it weirdly makes me think that tech startups are quite, are quite chill. Like we've got all this process in place. We've got all this automation. We've got all this, you know, when I look at my, my mate who runs a brewery and my mate who runs a coffee shop locally, I think, God, that's a lot of work you guys put in to get your money. You know, it's a, a lot of, you know, and it's, it's real. A lot they don't under- <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal. And there's a lot they don't understand in a certain way, in the way that tech has, has, has created a very metric driven sort of growth strategy. But if you talk to a, a coffee shop about that, it's just, you know, we'll you know, just make coffee and we'll just put it up by a couple of P a week or, you know, it's the, the because we're, we're not asked to create 10 X multiples, the growth, you know, it's just kind of keep the doors open and get some people in and see how I do. So your sort of alignment of growth becomes very different. But it would, it's lovely when you're in Counting and are a young, a young owner of an SME who has got, you know, I want to, I want five coffee shops. I want 10 coffee shops. I want this. You, know, you just think, yeah, great. You know? Yeah. I remember once speaking to the guy who founded a chain in London called Coco di Mama, which sells oh, yeah. like uh, coffee and, and uh, pasta and stuff like that. And I said to him, like, you know, how did you find this? You know, what, what happened? He goes, I was working in the city and it was, you know, up to there, you know, with just kind of nine to five. And I decided to start my own thing. And I said, you know, how are you going to I just kind of because I walked out of a tech company, right? It's like, how are you going to achieve that exponential growth? And the guy Guys, like the guy's a mathematician. He goes, dude, you know what you're even talking about? If I wanted exponential growth, that means I would have to open two two shops this week, four shops next week, eight yeah, shops yeah, yeah. week after yeah. next. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't mean like in literal sense, but <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I know that um, I know that one of the USPs for um, the grind chain is. David is a, is a, has a tech background, and he's built. He basically built himself a little management app that lets him see what 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 is happening across all of his stores in real time. He's kind of built the Google Analytics for his coffee shop, um, and again, it's kind of there's just not a lot of that. You know, even just you're a busy guy. You want to know, you know, the sorts of things that McDonald's has spent millions and millions millions on creating in the 80s and then again in the 90s and now again you know it's that sort of stuff there's always you know i always think there's an opportunity to bring that knowledge down that enterprise thinking down to the to the sme 
Yeah, because every company is an enterprise, even with just like one person working in it, maybe hacking together an, an app that can, and, you know, kids have done this with all those like little apps that went viral and so on. And it's like now, now you suddenly overnight need to sort of manage this in a lot more enterprisey way, yet you are just kind of still pissing around in your bedroom. <laughs> and it's like, I've got, I don't know, 50K coming in per, per day <laughs> on an app or something. And so, yeah, uh, crazy times so ben uh, that was fantastic chat man i really appreciate you coming on and and you know sharing your wisdom like from the soul so to speak where can people find out more about you is is it time yet to mention what you're working on or should people just get in touch with you um you know via linkedin or something and 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 who are you looking for what kind of customers are you looking for potentially so uh in initial stage we're looking for uh people with e-commerce uh, platforms. So if you've got a Shopify, you've got a even a Stripe JS uh, integration. Uh, you've got Zero, for example, or a Cash Flow. Anything that you can basically, you know, we've done we've, we've done people with iZettle. Um, yeah, anything that you can basically show us what the previous behaviour was, and then we can run it through the algo on our side, and then that's what we use to produce a report to the lenders, and then we share that report with you. So there's two sort of two views. Um, we're not there yet. We haven't even got a website ready, but that's coming next week. I'll jump up and down on LinkedIn all about that. Um, yeah, I guess watch this You know, watch this space. You can find me on Twitter on In The Company Of. Um, and yeah, we'll be, yeah. We're excited. This is good. This is a lovely, a lovely, uh, lovely opportunity and a space to play in. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see what next year brings. Awesome. I'm actually, can it, eh? hmm? Yeah, I'm, I'm also excited to see what you come up with, because every time you've come up with something in the past, it's always kind of really caught my attention. I've ended up using it. I've ended up not being able to, you know, uh, avoid it, even if I tried. So it was like, yeah, this is that. That's why I really wanted to speak to you and like go like, OK, I've learned now from your previous ventures that this stuff is very, very likely to, uh, you know, do something like really traction based you'll, and so yeah. you'll definitely hear about it i can guarantee you i'll be noisy um mm-hmm. i hope that we build we build the product uh, to be sticky enough that it does what we want it to do mm-hmm. um but we think it's a compelling opportunity and we think people will love what we're what we're what we're offering which is which is a nice feeling that's a nice thing to wake up and go yeah yeah, yeah. i know the people who would want this yeah. i know them and i like them you know uh, and want to help so you start from those premises it often is quite easy to to be useful i think yeah yeah i mean my my kind of pretty much the only experience of trying to raise money for for my own company so far has been going off and like speaking to a barclays branch manager and i've been like you know business account with barclays for 15 years whatever you know solid cash flow Mm. earnings all that stuff and i just said like what would be the um what would be a chance of me for example let's say taking like 10 20 grand you know of loan and the guy goes well uh, do you have a house right and i said yeah uh and he goes well if you put your house as a collateral then we can do it i said no no dude i'm i'm asking for my own business right i don't want to put my house and he goes oh no then not it's like what i've been i've been banking with you guys literally put like more than a million through in the last 10 years and yeah. you don't even give me 10 grand yeah. based on you know i've got like 50 grand coming in in the next four months or whatever mm-hmm. 
and he still doesn't want to lend me 10 grand. It's like, what the hell is this? No, I mean, they, they don't, they don't seem to care. They're just, they're, mm. they're, it, there's an arrogance, which is, which is just unbelievable, really. You know, because it is, you know, you know how hard it can, it used to be, you know, again, you know, fintechs kind of solve some of this, but it used to be bloody hard to open a business account. I mean, I think we waited three months or something with the three beards, all said and done, all the forms. Yeah. And again, you put all of your money through it, you run all the all your payroll through it, you're, you know, you're doing everything you should do correctly. And then there is no credit facility for you because your turnover per year is less than a million quid. And you're like, yeah. if I had a million quid a year, I wouldn't need to borrow 10 grand, would I? That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's, it's fixing that problem. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm really looking forward to to see what you guys come up with and definitely keeping an ear to the street there. And thank you so yeah, much man, for joining us. I can't wait to see what you awesome. think. We'll, uh, I'll send, I'll, as soon as it's uh, ready to be, to be looked at, I'll send it over for your thoughts. I'd love awesome. to hear them. Thank you so cool. much. Cheers. Nice one, dude. Bye-bye. Cheers, man.